1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: A new season of Bridgerton is here.
0: Hello, everyone. It's Eves, checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show.
3: Welcome to the day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's August 6th. The United States dropped an atomic bomb known as Little Boy on the Japanese city of Hiroshima on this day in 1945. The United States had entered World War II after Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii on December 7th of 1941. And then by May of 1945, the war in Europe had ended. But it was raging on in the Pacific. Japan, at that point, though, was in dire straits. The Japanese Navy was almost destroyed. The nation had seen colossal damage from Allied firebombing over major cities. And the conditions for Japanese civilians, in a lot of cases, were just terrible. People had no food and were on the verge of starvation. But even so, there were a lot of people within the Allied forces who thought that Japan would never surrender, no matter how bad things got. And this was due to a combination of some preconceptions about Japanese culture and society, and then just the tactics that the Japanese military had been using during the war. It's hard to imagine a fighting force that uses kamikaze fighters ever backing down. So on July 26th, 1945, 10 days after the first successful test of an atomic bomb, the United States issued the Potsdam Declaration. This called for Japan to surrender unconditionally or face, quote, prompt and utter destruction. But Japan did not surrender, and the United States bombed Hiroshima on August 6, 1945. Hiroshima had been chosen specifically for maximum shock value. It was a major city that had not been targeted by firebombing, so the damage would be colossal. And then it was also believed that the surrounding hilly territory would focus the blast and cause even more damage. At least 80,000 people died instantly, most of them civilians. Tens of thousands more died later from radiation poisoning and radiation-induced diseases. The blast also completely leveled the area near its hypocenter, and a fire spread from there. First-person accounts of that day are horrifying. Japan still did not surrender, though, and the United States dropped a second bomb on Nagasaki on the 9th. Other military operations were still ongoing during this time, and the Soviet Union also started to deploy millions of troops to Manchuria to be part of this fight. Japan's surrender was announced on August 15th, and the nation formally surrendered on September 2nd. There continues to be debate about what role exactly nuclear weapons played in the end of the war, as well as whether their use on civilian cities was justified. And public opinion about that second question varies dramatically in the United States versus Japan. According to a 2015 report by the nonpartisan Pew Research Center, 56% of Americans believe the use of nuclear weapons was justified, and 34% say that it wasn't. Meanwhile, in Japan... Just 14% say that it was justified, while 79% say that it wasn't. Thanks to Tari Harrison for her audio editing on these episodes. And you can learn more about what happened in Hiroshima on the first part of the Stuff You Missed in History class episode, Sadako Sasaki's 1,000 Cranes. That's from February 26, 2018. The second part of this episode is also relevant, but not as directly connected to the bombing of Hiroshima. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for another moment for more time, this time from the 1960s.
1: When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes Burned, you could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules, and yet Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured,
3: they said, My head should be cut off,
1: the joy they brought to the nation.
2: You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you.
1: I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast.
5: Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident, drugs and uh, officials cover up.
0: a Story of California Corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi again. Welcome to This Day in History class, where history waits for no one. The day was August 6, 1991. British engineer and computer scientist Tim Berners Lee published the first ever website. Berners Lee got his degree in physics from the University of Oxford. A few years after he graduated, he began working at the European Organization for Nuclear Research, also known as CERN. He worked there for a while in 1980, left to work elsewhere, and returned to CERN in 1984. While there, he realized that sharing information was difficult for the organization's researchers, who were in different places around the world and had different information on different computers. The internet was already connecting computers, and it was developing quickly. But Berners-Lee realized that people could share information using hypertext, or text that contains links to other texts. In March of 1989, he submitted to his managers at CERN a proposal for an information management system that used hypertext to link documents on different computers that were connected to the internet. His boss, Mike Sindal, wrote on the proposal document that it was vague but exciting. In May of 1990, Berners Lee wrote his second proposal concerning, quote, the management of general information about accelerators and experiments at CERN. It was not an official CERN project, but Berners Lee was allowed to work on it. He began working with a Belgian engineer at CERN named Robert Caillou, and the project was formalized as a management proposal in November of 1990. This proposal for a hypertext project called World Wide Web described a web of hypertext documents that could be viewed by browsers. By the end of 1990, Berners-Lee had developed the three technologies that were fundamental to the web. Hypertext Markup Language, or HTML, Uniform Resource Identifier, or URI, and Hypertext Transfer Protocol, or HTTP. HTML is the formatting language for the web. The URI is the unique address that allows us to locate a resource on the web. And HTTP is a set of rules that allows for the retrieval of linked resources from across the web. He also wrote the first web page browser and web server. Berners-Lee released his World Wide Web software in 1991, making it available to colleagues using CERN computers in March. The web was made publicly available on August 6, 1991. The site only contained text and links. It included a description of the World Wide Web, defined as, quote, a wide area of hypermedia information retrieval initiative aiming to give universal access to a large universe of documents. It also described how to use the web. The site was hosted at CERN on Berners-Lee's next computer, and its address was info.cern.ch. The first web page's address is listed in the description. Interest in the web spread around the world. CERN wanted to patent the web, but Berners-Lee refused. He wanted the technology to be free and open and advocated for the source code to always be available on a royalty-free basis people began creating browsers and websites. And by late 1993, there were more than 500 known servers. The first International World Wide Web Conference was held at CERN in May of 1994. That same year, Berners-Lee left CERN and went to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. There, he founded the World Wide Web Consortium, a web standards organization that he is currently the director of. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Podcast. Come back tomorrow for another tidbit from history.
3: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com.
4: Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.
1: This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation.
2: You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you.
1: The danger they endured.
3: They said, my head should be cut off.
1: I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or
4: wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here.